We're going to go through three scenes today as we break up this passage of Scripture. We're going to see some things that maybe you'll see in yourself. Maybe you'll go, wow, that's me. Or maybe you'll see this in your neighbor next to you. Hopefully, though, you keep your eyes on yourself and you see where you may be in the story. I'll give you one hint. You will not be Jesus in the story. That's reserved for Jesus. But you may be somebody else in the story. So watch out for that. Well, Jesus, having just healed the Canaanite woman's daughter, leaves there and and goes to another place on the Sea of Galilee. And the Gentile people hear about this. Now, Jesus was usually among the Jews, but the Gentiles who were pagan hear about this, and they're like, if he can heal people, why don't we give this a try? And so they started bringing their lame, their dumb, which means mute, people that were blind that couldn't see, and they started bringing them to Jesus. Now, I'm assuming... And I think correctly, back then their medical uh, doctoring, nursing, and all of that probably was not up to the par that ours is today. And so I'm guessing there was a lot more abnormalities that couldn't be fixed back in those days. Verse 30 says, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. I can't imagine what these people thought. This was not normal for them. The gods that they worshipped would never have done this. Matter of fact, the gods they worshipped weren't even teaching. They weren't mentoring, yet alone healing. And what did they do, the Bible says? They actually started praising and glorifying the God of Israel. This was not their God. But I'm guessing some of them were being convinced this man is representing the God of Israel. This may be the Redeemer that Israel has been looking for. You see, God has been in the business of loving the nations, not just the Jewish people, all throughout the history of Scripture. Now, we do see pagan nations being decimated, but we also see great love by God for the pagan nations. Who remembers the story of Jonah? Yeah. Here we have an Israelite and God says to go to these pagan people in Nineveh. Now, Jonah, I'm guessing was a little racist. I don't want to go to them. I don't like them. I don't want anything good to happen to them. What happens though? He ends up going. God gets his way. Jonah goes on a boat, and he is kicking and screaming. 
to go the other way. But God gets him to Nineveh. And he's still kicking and screaming. Even in Nineveh, not wanting them to repent. What did Jonah want to happen to Nineveh? He wanted destruction to happen. But we see God's love using even an Israelite to bring love to the pagan, Nineveh. We look no further than even the book of Matthew, and we've already hit this. Jesus, who was a Jew, an Israelite, had love for the centurion who had a servant that needed to be healed. We saw him last week with this Canaanite woman whose daughter needed to be healed. We see all throughout Scripture God's love for the nations. If you were here on Wednesday night, we saw God's love for the nations through what man and woman? Abraham and Sarah. He said he would make a great nations, but also that nation would affect other nations around them in a positive way. Jesus had compassion on the Gentile people. Matter of fact, he sent an apostle to the Gentiles. Who was that apostle? Paul. His love was great for humanity. Jesus also loved his Jewish brothers and sisters very, very much. We see them just a few months earlier. Jesus feeds 5,000 men and women and children. He had compassion on this crowd, just like he had compassion on the Gentile crowd. Now, they only stayed one day when the feeding of the 5,000, the Jewish people. The Gentile people knew how to take it to another level. They stayed three days, the Bible says, listening to Jesus. I mean, this must have been some kind of festival happening. I mean, I can't imagine Jesus not getting any sleep for three days, but maybe he got a little less than he normally would have got. But these Gentiles came, these pagans came and listened to Jesus for three days. What a party that must have been. But they were running out of food. And Jesus didn't want these people, as they were going to leave, to faint. The Bible says, verse 32, Then Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowds because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves and fishes do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And the directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and fishes. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Seems like the disciples are very forgetful. Was this scenario not just played out a few months ago? The same issue happened. Now, it was only one day, 
But they wonder, where are we going to get this much food? Jesus had healed a bunch of people, but we don't know where we're going to get this food from. I mean, Jesus is doing some incredible things, like legs are coming back on people. Um, Blind are now seen. They're not using sticks to walk. Um, who, who could help? I don't know. The, the grocery man's not around, so obviously we're sunk, right? Here is Jesus doing these miraculous gifts. Here are the disciples seeing all these miraculous things being done, yet forgetting a few months back Jesus used some loaves and fishes and fed over 5,000 people. But where are we going to get food today? I don't know. I don't know. Like it's beyond me where we're going to get it today. That seems like me sometimes. I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God work in others' life, yet I don't know what God can do with this mess I'm in. We become like the disciples on a daily basis sometimes, forgetting what God we serve and what God we pray to. We think, ah, this is just a God made of stone, I guess. I don't know. No, this is a God who can make the impossible possible. The text says that Jesus fed all of them and there was leftovers. Now, what's interesting to me, he collected the leftovers. He didn't give them plates to take home. Kind of interesting. I'm not going to surmise why they didn't get any plates to take home, but he didn't give them plates to take home. But the text says, and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. Plenty of leftovers, and I don't know what Jesus did with it, But the people left and were satisfied. There's two things, though, I want us to see in the feeding of the 5,000 of the Jewish people and the feeding of the 4,000 with the Gentile people. Now listen to the feeding of the 5,000 and how this went down. When Jesus landed, this is uh, chapter 14, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, so this has been a long day, right? The disciples came to him and said, listen, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go back to their villages and buy themselves some food. So basically they're saying, Jesus, you know, nine o'clock, everything shuts down where they're living. Why don't we go ahead and close up at seven, give them some time to get back to their villages so they can get some food to eat tonight. I mean, fair enough. It sounds like a good plan to me. I think I would have probably done the same thing. Jesus replies though, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So, here you've got some disciples. Now, I would say they're very empathetic to the needs of the people around them. 
They're probably hungry themselves. But we also know they probably wanted to eat their loaves and fishes, but probably didn't want to share them with them because obviously had some food with them, right? Jesus is like, okay, you got some food? They're like, yeah, we got a little food. Not enough for this crowd. He's like, well, let's all eat then. All right, well, that's not going to happen. Just enough for us. Jesus makes it happen, though. Now, this is a little different, but let's listen to the text today, the reading of the 4,000. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowds because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Uh, uh, I know what you got some food stashed away. They said, well, seven and a few small fish, not big fish, Jesus, they're small. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and fishes, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, what do we see different in these texts? The disciples learned a lesson that first time around. We are not going to say, send them away and go get food, because we know what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take our food. Now, they did get plenty to eat that first time around. But they forgot about it, I'm guessing, because they had squirreled away some food for themselves again. And they made sure they were taken care of. They didn't come to Jesus and said, hey, it's been three days, send these crowds away. They were like, we ain't touching that one again. Now, Jesus says, hey, I don't want to send this crowd away because I have compassion on them. And they're going to faint because they haven't had food. And you know what? I know you guys. Where's the food? Where's the food? They had it. Now, one thing we notice here, we never see the disciples having compassion in this text. What I believe they had was empathy. Now, that's a popular word today, empathy. But that's what they had. It's realizing there's an issue and kind of putting yourself in the place of that issue, but not doing a darn thing about it. Jesus, on the other hand, one-upped it and said, yes, we have an issue, and I'm going to do something about it. That is the difference between Jesus and us a lot of times. We don't have compassion. You putting a black square on your Instagram does not mean anything. You virtue signal. That's not compassion. What is the difference? When someone was without food, do you invite them to your house and give them food to eat? Do you have compassion? It's funny, I've been, um, not to get political, but this may get a little political if you want it to be that way, but it's just interesting. Um, we have a lot of 
people coming into the United States through our southern border. We've got a lot of sanctuary cities out there, and I've been hearing a lot of mayors saying certain things about, whoa, not here. We've got way too many. Is it showing compassion if you're a sanctuary city? No. How do you react in your neighborhood to people? How do you react to your coworkers? Do you have empathy? Well, I see a problem, but that's you. I feel it for you. I really do. Or do you have compassion as Jesus had on the crowds? Now, I don't want to get it twisted because Jesus also had truth, and we will see that in the second scene. He had truth. Not that truth is diametrically opposed to compassion, but he knew what true compassion and where it needed to be put. Let's not get that twisted. There's scammers out there too. The in, no offense, the Indian guy who calls me on the phone, <laughs> he's a scammer. He ain't. He's got a Kevin, yes. <laughs> This could derail very quickly, couldn't it? <laughs> so do you have empathy or do you have compassion? Be like Jesus. Have compassion. Do you think the disciples learned a lesson that day? They should have, right? Squirreling away food. Not saying that's a bad thing. We should plan. But realizing others were hungry too. And not wanting to do anything about it. Empathy, the intellectual identification of the thoughts, feelings, or state of another person. The ability to identify with or understand another situation or feelings. Not a bad thing. Compassion. The humane quality of understanding the suffering of others and wanting to do something about it and doing it. Don't virtue signal. Spend time. Spend money. Spend relationship capital on others that need compassion from you. I do want us to see one phrase that these Gentile people said. Verse 31, after Jesus healed and did all these works, the crowd wondered and they glorified the God of Israel. These crowds, they wondered at Jesus. Now, that word could mean a couple different things. I wonder what I'm eating for lunch today. It's not what it means. Wonder in this context the emotion aroused by something awe-inspiring, one that arouses awe, astonishment, and admiration. That is what they saw in Jesus and the work He did. There was a great wonder, and they praised and glorified God. And it says, they were satisfied. And I'm betting they weren't just satisfied Stomach-wise, 
but they were satisfied. Needs were being met. Jesus was healing them, not just physically, but emotionally. This is the way our Jesus works. He does the impossible and makes it possible. But in human standard, it is impossible. Are you in wonder of Jesus today? Are you in wonder of Jesus today? Or is it just like, yeah, I worship Jesus. He's cool. I like him. Are you in awe of what Jesus has done for you? Coming to this earth from heaven, being born of a virgin, living a life of 33 years, and it was not an easy life, and dying on a cross so that you could receive forgiveness of sin. If that doesn't put you in wonder, what will? Verse 38 says, And Jesus got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Scene two, that was scene one. We go to scene two now. Jesus rolls into Magadan. Well, maybe he didn't roll. Maybe he uh, rode into Magadan. And the Jewish leadership is there to meet him. They did not have the keys of the city, though. And Jesus kind of knew from past experience with the leaders what this was going to go down like. So I think he was prepared for what was going to go down. You see, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they had an axe to grind with Jesus. They were not fanboys of Jesus. They did not like Jesus. And they certainly didn't like him hanging around the Gentile people. Those dogs, those people, tax collectors, sinners, people that they did not approve of. But Jesus was hanging around them. As a matter of fact, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't even like each other. That's how much they disliked everybody. They didn't like each other. You see, the Pharisees kept the law, and then they added more laws. Sort of like a big brother would do to you, right? Mom and dad say this, but you know what? You also shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. How many had a sibling like that? Yeah. The Pharisees taught some doctrines. God controls all things, but decisions made by individuals also affect life's course. So God was in control but not completely in control. Pharisees also believe there will be a resurrection from the dead one day. There is an afterlife. They believe that. They also believed in a reward and punishment on an individual basis. The Messiah will set up His kingdom on this earth, they believed. They believed also, though, in the spiritual realm, including the existence of angels and demons. They believe that. Now, the Sadducees were more of a geopolitical group. The Sadducees were extremely self-sufficient to the point of denying God's involvement in everyday life. They didn't believe it. They denied any resurrection from the dead ever. 
Due to this belief, the Sadducees strongly resisted the apostles' preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead later on in the book of Matthew. They denied an afterlife, holding that the soul perished at death, therefore denying any penalty or reward after this earthly life. They believed, as probably C.S. Lewis did, in annihilation. They also denied the existence of a spiritual world, so no angels. They didn't believe in demons. So here you had Pharisees, who very moral, believed one set. You had the Sadducees, a, a religious but geopolitical group that didn't believe anything hardly that these people believed, coming together because they had one common enemy, and that was Jesus. Jesus was upsetting the apple cart, so to speak. The old phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, come to mind as I was studying for this. They both had reasons to dislike Jesus. Power was at the main part of their reasoning. They knew the works that Jesus was doing in and around their area. And it was quite upsetting to them. Jesus was almost like a rock star. They weren't getting that many people coming to their little crusades. But Jesus was getting a lot of people to coming to his crusades, and he wasn't even advertising. He had no social media presence, but they were coming. And this upset them very, very much. Jesus knew there was nothing he could do to satisfy them because they just plain out hated him. But what did they do? Verse 16, or chapter 16, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, Jesus was used to testing. Jesus was used to people testing him. As a matter of fact, Jesus was tested by one of the best. Who remembers in Matthew 4, Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by who? Satan. Now, I'm guessing Satan was a better tester than Sadducees and the Pharisees. But they were no different than what Satan was doing to Jesus. They wanted to test Jesus to find out some things. Now, if Jesus would have done what they asked, would they have believed? Oh, and Jesus knew that. Just like Satan. Satan doesn't get a second chance. But he offered Jesus all kinds of stuff. And Jesus like, no, I already know who wins. I wrote the end of the story. You forget? But these Sadducees and Pharisees were no different than Satan. And Jesus knew their unbelief was instricably written in who they were and what they believed. But Jesus wants to give a brief lesson, and he tells them about the sky. Like, I know you guys aren't dumb. You can look at the sky, and if it's red in the morning, it's going to be stormy that day. If it's red in the evening and threatening or something like that, what was that, what was that one thing to... Sailor thing. 
Very good. Even the sailors use this part of the Bible. And Jesus tells them, listen, you know how to read the sky, yet you can't see what's going on here. You can't see the Old Testament points to me. And he leaves it sort of at that. He leaves it at that. Now, I do want to go into, and Pastor Mike hit this a few weeks ago, um, at the end of verse 4, it says, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. And Mike quoted a guy named Sean O'Donnell. What is the sign of Jonah? What, what is he talking about? In Jesus' life and ministry, God gave one proof. That was a good breakfast, by the way. <clears throat> uh, in the, Jesus' life and ministry, God gave one proof after another. But in his death and resurrection, he pulled out all the stops. The resurrection of a crucified Christ, that is the sign. Period, exclamation point. One sign, take it or leave it. You see, we have a lot of signs today that we don't even see. The Bible talks about the heavens. If you just look up at the heavens, what do they do? They declare the glory of God. When you look at a chicken, I don't know when you're going to look at a chicken. Well, Emma, you might look at a chicken. The hen, what should that remind us of? God taking care of us. It says as a hen takes care of her chicks. When you look at your hand, is this not a sign from God that you will never be plucked out of His hand, the Bible says. When you look at your feet, do you think about the spreading of the gospel of Jesus? When you go to a beach and see rock and sand, do you not think of on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other sinking sand? When you go to your fridge and see milk and meat, you think of the word of God that nourishes and feeds you. When you look at a sword, you think of the Word of God, the Bible. When you think about water, you're reminded that you will never thirst again. When you see a bird in the air, does it remind you, if Jesus takes care of that bird, you will be taken care of? When you look at the hair on your head, do you realize Jesus knows every hair on your head? You don't have to worry. He's got you. The list could go on and on and on. What the Bible talks about, just objects around us, signs around us to declare the glory of God. Yet we miss them every day. We miss them. But if we would look and had eyes to see, we would see signs. And we wouldn't need to ask for more. Because they are already here. Do you see the signs around you coming from God? Or is it just a physical world? Signs. Signs, signs, everywhere signs. 
Well, let's go on to scene three. The first scene was the Gentiles were filled with wonder. The second scene was the Sadducees and the Pharisees wanting a sign. The third scene, verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Ah, boy. Ah, boy. They didn't forget the first two times, but they forgot this time, and Jesus wasn't going to let this pass. Jesus said to him, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they'd be getting disgusted among themselves, saying, Man, we didn't bring bread. I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, but Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And I can see Jesus kind of smiling. Like, it's kind of comical. Like, I know you brought bread everywhere you go because you boys are chunky boys. But, uh, like, you're never without food. And this time you do. Now I'm warning you about this yeast or this leaven. Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? Like, you don't even need the five loaves and fishes. Don't you remember what I did with the Jewish people in the big crowd we had? Like, it's okay you forgot bread. Do you not remember the 4,000 the other day? Like, I know you forgot bread, but do you think I have to have that loaves and fishes to do this? I mean, really? Like, I couldn't do it if you didn't have bread on you. Come on, guys. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That they understood it. Like, whoa, okay. Beware of the leaven of the bread, which was the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see... Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I can do this. It's not about that. But it does matter who you're listening to. It does matter where you're getting your doctrine from. Beware of leaven from them. Now, leaven is yeast that you use to make bread, and I've never made a loaf of bread in my life, but I love bread. And leaven in the Bible is always... And every time you see yeast now, you're going to think of sin. It's sin referenced in the Bible. And Jesus is saying, if you listen and if you believe what these dudes are telling you, it's going to permeate everything you do. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees were not compassionate people. Matter of fact, they weren't empathetic either. And if you listen to them, and if you abide by their words, you will become just like them. And he doesn't want them to. Matter of fact, he's like, I want you to remember. I remember. There's ways that we remember. Why are we here today? Because we want to remember. We need the first day of the week to remember what Christ did for us, what God has done for us and will do for us. That's why we worship Him today, for a remembrance of Him. That's why we're here. 
We come to worship Him because we forget. This isn't just tradition. This has meaning of why we are here. Sunday matters. Sunday matters. Now, there's other ways. Have some friends that'll help you remember. There might be another way. Maybe you should journal. I made fun of journaling in Sunday school one day, and Arpeth, Michelle, and Stephen gave me a journal and a coffee mug and a candle and gel pens so I could journal. But if I go back in that journal, I might remember. We need to remember. But we are so prone to forgetting. We are so prone to forgetting. And I think part of why we forget are we we are not in wonder of Jesus. We are not in wonder of Jesus because if he was that awe-inspiring, we couldn't help but remember. I remember going to the Grand Canyon and I remember the first look of it. I'll never forget the awe that I felt. Like, what am I looking at? The, the awe that is the Grand Canyon. But I don't have a relationship with the Grand Canyon. I couldn't marry the Grand Canyon. I can't talk to the Grand Canyon. It's a Grand Canyon. And I had awe of it. I can talk and have a relationship with Jesus daily. But I'm not in awe of the God of very gods who made that Grand Canyon. But I should be. But soon I forget, like the disciples. So there's some things that I want us to think about as we close. Do you just have empathy or do you actually have true compassion for others? Or are you still looking for a sign? You know what? I'm not sure if it's really Jesus. Could be, but maybe not. Because there's a lot of people still out there hedging their bets. They want it to be true, but they have their foot in the world. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must love me with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind, and give up every other love and follow me. Are you still looking for a sign? And I want us to take away, will you remember? Will you remember? When you look at things, will you remember? We're getting ready right now to take communion. That is something that God has given us to do what? Remember. When you see wine and bread, what should you think about? The blood and body broken. That's why we do this, to remember. So if you guys want to come, that is why we come to this table. Because we want to remember. Remember, 
That is why we come to the Sunday gathering, because we want to remember. That is why we read God's Word, because we want to learn and remember. That is why we want to interact with one another, because we want to remember. I know we're going to forget. I mean, the disciples walked with Jesus, and they forgot. He was right there beside them, and they forgot. So yes, you will forget. But that is why we're family, to help one another remember.